Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.54 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the 11th of April, 2023. This is episode 702 of Bitcoin and... I got to be a little quiet today. I can't get all animated. <clears throat> Wife is working from home. She's trying to catch up on some on some grading. And uh, I don't want to get entirely too loud. So forgive me for being a little bit more on the ASMR side this morning. But hey, you got to work with what you got, right? All right. So uh, how do we want to start this one off? Uh, yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about Jack Spearco from the Survival Podcast and Bitcoin Breakout Podcast. He has both. Uh, this guy's been going for 15 years. I think he actually is entering into the 16th year of the Survival Podcast. And earlier, it was either very, I think it was late last year. He added to, because he does this weekly, you know, I mean, not weekly, he does it daily. Now, it's like Monday through Friday. He's got an episode coming out about permaculture, um, preparedness, homesteading. If you're interested in, in those kind of topics, I can't recommend anybody more highly. And when he talks about preparedness, he doesn't do it in, you know, an insane way that you might be thinking of, like the guys that are just nothing but bullets, beans, Bibles, and whatever, right? or bunkers, you know, he doesn't do that shit. He just talks about, you know, what's a good way to store gas for a generator in case electricity goes out during a storm. You know what the disasters that he talks about are the kinds of disasters that happen like bad ice storms, a tornado, a hurricane. He's not talking about electromagnetic pulse from the commies over in China. He doesn't talk about like a meteorite striking the earth. Yes, these things can happen, but his bent is more on the issue of what is more likely to happen. Okay. Is it a, is it a tidal wave that wipes out the entirety of the West coast because of some mammoth meteorite, or is it more likely a localized hurricane that takes out power for weeks? It's the latter, but both of those situations are bad and he's got a lot of preparedness stuff. He also does a lot of permaculture stuff about planting and what kind of plants and how to handle ducks and small animals and, and chickens and whatnot like that on property and what they do and how you can use them to your benefit as workers rather than just having an egg laying flock, right? He uses these animals and he tells you all about that. And the reason that I'm bringing him up, oh, by the way, he also, okay, well, late last year, he introduced into all of that mix, a separate podcast called the Bitcoin Breakout, which I was on talking about Noster. 
And he did that late last year. I was on his show last month um, talking about Noster and what it was because he kind of had heard about it and didn't really know what was going on. So we had a good two-hour talk about that. And of course, you can go get that at the Survival Podcast. Um, that name, The name of that uh, episode is WTF is Noster and Is It Unstoppable? It's episode 3265. Yes, he has 3,265 episodes. Actually, he's going to be doing, he's into his 70s now, so will not age. I mean, like, he, he's got a lot of podcasts, okay? So it's not, he's way past uh, 3265. I think he's on 3279 or something like that. Actually, probably in the 80s. Who knows? This guy puts out content. But he put out a blog post today talking about Noster, and he's, his uh, episode this uh, that he drops later today will be about Noster, but specifically, it's about grow Noster as a hashtag because he wants to grow Noster. Now, here, here's his thing, and, and a lot of you guys or a lot of the people that I've seen on Noster sort of have a complaint that there's nothing but Bitcoin content on Noster. Fair enough. Let's find out what Jack Spirico has to say. I'm just going to read part of this blog post, not, not much of it. The biggest complaint members of my audience make about Noster is the sheer dominance of Bitcoin content. This is understandable. Noster uses a means of identification and account management very similar to Bitcoin. It has Bitcoin Lightning integration and Bitcoiners tend to be somewhat techie nerds and early adopters. Hence, mostly Bitcoin-type folks were the first to see Noster's potential and get on it. There is a finite limit to growth, though, with any topic on social media, and instead of complaining about one topic dominance, I think it is time that we focus on the solution. Let's talk about other stuff. What other stuff? Honestly, any other stuff. But from my community, we, of course, love permaculture, homesteading, gardening, prepping, entrepreneurship, lifestyle design, and threat analysis. Okay, so that's the part of the, the main part that I want, or the, the part of his introduction that I want to get to, because he's got an idea on how to get more content, different kinds of content onto Noster. And he's got a, basically it's sort of like, uh, well, let's say, let's just read this one. It is short, simple, says what it does, and easy to remember. The concept of grow here is as follows. Grow Noster itself. To fulfill, fulfill its destiny, Noster has to be about more than just Bitcoin and Zapathons. Grow as individuals. Knowledge is what helps us grow and develop our lifestyle designs. Grow our networks. Connections to others improve our adaptability to a shifting economy and world. Grow as communities. All of the above are strengthened by networks, strong sub-communities. And I'm going to continue with his blog post because he's going to get into a six-point list here. I want to be clear that my goal has nothing to do with less Bitcoin content, only more content overall. I post and will continue to post Bitcoin content daily. I just want people connecting on more subjects. So I am launching this today with a 90-day challenge. If you are reading this two weeks or more after I wrote it, don't sweat it. It will be ongoing and you can start at any time. Here are the steps to take every day to make Grow Noster work. Number one, commit to and make at least two posts a day on Noster. 
They can be about anything except Bitcoin. Pics of your dogs, gardens, stuff you're doing to work out, work you were doing on your business, news stories, anything except Bitcoin. Number two, hashtag these posts with hashtag GrowNoster. Also tag them with some other relevant tag, say permaculture or keto or business or whatever is relevant. Just don't leave out the GrowNoster tag as it is the Keystone tag. Number three, every day check the GrowNoster feed, the hashtag GrowNoster feed, a time or three and follow at least two if not more people that you don't know in that feed based on common interests. DM them and let them know that you did. Number four, check your DMs and follow back anyone who DM'd you and followed you in their step three. Number five, make at least four comments in posts tagged Grow Noster every day. Final step, zap at least two people using the tag Grow Noster every day. This can be say 50 sats or about a penny in USD terms. All right, so there's gonna be a lot of people that have the Grow Noster tag. This is me talking now. There's gonna be a lot of people that have the Grow Noster tag in post, and they will not have the ability to zap them because they haven't set up a Lightning wallet, okay? So if you cannot zap, then at least like that post and then respond to it and maybe give them a gentle nudge and you know show them Phoenix Wallet or Wallet of Satoshi or Breeze Wallet as the and say I can't zap this post because you don't have Lightning set up and just give them a nudge. You don't have to go through a full set of instructions, but there's I've already seen a lot of people with this tag, no ability to zap. So you know give them a little bit of a ribbon, follow these steps, and we're going to end up with uh, Nostr being a place that has a lot of different kinds of content. Because I agree, right now. Man, it's so Bitcoin and economics, macroeconomics and global politics heavy that it's just, I mean, it's for people like me, I love it. But it's nice to get a break and see somebody just doing gardening or, you know, lifting weights or, I don't know, cooking a steak, you know, things of that nature. And of course, there is. But, you know, why not grow it? Because the more the topics grow, the more the network grows. And the more the network grows, the more the community grows. And the more the community grows, the more, how to say it, the more opportunities present themselves for commerce, for having somebody that you know that's closer to you than you thought, you know, geographically. And maybe there's the ability to do, you know, start a Bitcoin meetup in your area. Who knows? Or some kind of meetup, maybe a gardening meetup. It doesn't matter. But as Adam Curry always says, connection is protection. And he's not lying. We've been like two years of COVID really locked people down to the point that they didn't really have, you know, outside connections whatever their own, whatever their friends that they came into COVID with stayed with them, I I guess, but they probably didn't see them as often. And there's been a real breakdown in communities, personal networks. And this is also an opportunity to build that back 
as we help build Noster up. Now, let's get into the news. An open letter to Texas State Senator Lois Kolkhorst from Parker Lewis and Will Cole, Bitcoin Magazine. <coughs> Dear Senator Kolkhorst, As native Texans, we are writing to express concern regarding Texas Senate Bill 1751, which you co-sponsored and which recently passed a Business and Commerce Committee vote on April the 5th, 2023. This open letter follows a private appeal submitted via your office back in March. We write as concerned Texas citizens who are independent and do not represent any company or lobby. From the outside looking in, you seem to be a proud Texan who fights for the rights of all Texans, promoting liberty and freedom consistent with Texan values. SB 1751 is a notable departure, at least in critical aspects, from your past track record. It is misinformed, discriminatory, anti-competitive, harmful to the interests of grid stability, bad for consumers, and a strategic setback for Texas. For context, the bill concerns virtual currency mining and demand response. It seeks to limit the ability of Bitcoin miners to participate in compensatory ERCOT programs which incentivize load reduction to 10% across all Bitcoin miners in total. Prior to sponsoring SB 1751, it is unclear whether you engaged in discussions with Bitcoin miners to better understand the matter or expressed any opinions on Bitcoin or Bitcoin mining at all. It is also unclear whether special interests lobbied for this bill, given you do not appear to have previously taken any positions at all on Bitcoin, but on the merits alone, SB 1751 is problematic, misinformed. The bill contains virtual currency mining as demand response. Really at issue is Bitcoin, not virtual currency broadly. There are no miners of any currency other than Bitcoin that could be of note participating in demand response programs or promoting grid reliability. Bitcoin is also definitionally not comparable to any other currency, and it is not virtual. Bitcoin is not, quote, crypto. Bitcoin is Bitcoin, and if Bitcoin is at the heart of your bill, a better understanding before legislating would be beneficial. Bitcoin is a form of money with a fixed supply, which is global and permissionless. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. This is the basis of its value to the world. As was apparent from a recent tweet, you seem to recognize that inflation is a problem. Inflation is not a political phenomenon. Money is created by the Federal Reserve, the Fed has increased the money supply by $8 trillion or 8x since the great financial crisis, which causes inflation and destroys savings. Bitcoin is designed to fix the problem of money printing, but nothing of value comes without cost. Bitcoin's 21 million fixed supply is secured by energy, specifically power. In short, energy innovation has always been strategic to Texas. Energy is strategic to Bitcoin, and Bitcoin will become increasingly strategic to Texas as a result. However, it is not just about power generation and demand. It is about the problems of printing money, which undermine the interest of all Texans and the state of Texas. Texas is a leader in energy, and all Texans need a form of money that the government cannot print out of thin air and at no cost. Texas Power is securing the Bitcoin network, which not only promotes grid stability and creates jobs and economic development, but it also secures the interests of all Texans, even those who do not yet use Bitcoin as a superior form of money. We would be happy to hear your concerns and discuss this in more detail if it would be valuable. Discriminatory. 
SB 1751 singles out Bitcoin miners from all other industries. Setting everything else aside, this is discriminatory and creates an unlevel playing field. While other sources of demand have been identified as critical infrastructure, no other industry, including battery operators, have been restricted. Why Bitcoin mining? Anti-competitive. Bitcoin miners compete in various ancillary services which ERCOT uses to compensate flexible loads to ensure grid stability. The entrant of Bitcoin miners has made the bidding process more competitive, reducing prices. Restricting the ability of Bitcoin miners to participate is anti-competitive and will result in marginally less participation in ancillary services by Bitcoin miners, which will marginally increase cost for ERCOT to achieve its reliability mandate. Harmful to grid stability. SB 1751 disincentivizes Bitcoin miners from participating in ancillary services which promote grid stability. More participation in ancillary services not only reduces costs, but also allows for ERCOT to have more resources at its disposable, at, at its disposal. <laughs> God, I have some problems today, guys. At its disposal to achieve grid stability. As Texas power demand grows, more flexible resources will be needed to achieve grid stability. Why disincentivize large flexible loads, which are most often more efficient and lower cost than using peaker plants? Bad for consumers. Access to ancillary services creates marginal economic incentives for miners to come to Texas. Over time, more miners in Texas will lead to more power generation, more demand response, and more participation in said ancillary services. All three, individually and in aggregate, promote cheaper and more stable power prices for all Texas consumers. Strategic setback for Texas. Due to the fundamentals of energy development and as socialist-leaning states like New York have restricted mining, there has been significant shift of Bitcoin mining to Texas. From a mining perspective, Texas is known as the center of hash. Austin is also an emerging hub for Bitcoin development. SB 1751 sends loud signals that Texas is not the free, deregulated market everyone believes it to be, and that the state of Texas is antagonistic to Bitcoin broadly. Bitcoin mining incentivizes cheap power and its unique ability to respond at scale to all other sources of power demands help achieve grid stability far more effectively and efficiently than any other single resource. Willingness by miners to shut down and not mine Bitcoin in the interest of grid stability is a benefit to ERCOT and all Texans, which should not be economically disincentivized or disadvantaged relative to other industries. Mining projects are also capital intensive. Rash legislative action can have immediate impacts in dissuading miners to pursue large, long-term capital intensive projects in Texas. Even if you might not be concerned with this broader significance, this legislation will harm Texas' strategic interests beyond just ancillary services. Appeal to reason and reasonability. Before moving forward, with harmful legislation, we encourage you to engage further with Bitcoin miners to better understand the matter generally and the consequences of your legislation specifically. Pausing work on SB 1751 is the only sensible and reasonable course. Please do not shoot and aim later. <laughs> Additionally, we would ask that you engage with the Texas Bitcoin community to understand the importance of Bitcoin and why it is strategic to Texas and all Texans. 
Bitcoin needs no favors nor competitive advantages. It just should not be subject to regulatory discrimination. The rights of Texas Bitcoin holders, including miners, should be protected. House Concurrent Resolution 89, sponsored by Cody Harris in the Texas House of Representatives, District 8, is a great example. It aims to protect the rights of Texan interest in Bitcoin rather than advantaging Bitcoin in any way. That is all we ask of you and your colleagues. It is clear you are a proud Texan and your values align with the ethos of Bitcoin. Most importantly, we simply wish you to engage with the citizenry prior to legislating. But rest assured, regardless of how you proceed, everything is good for Bitcoin, which is a theory formerly known in Keynesian economics as the Nakamoto paradox. If you would like to discuss SB 1751 or Bitcoin more generally, we are in Austin or would come to Brenham. Godspeed, quote, govern wisely and as little as possible. Sam Houston. All the best, Parker A. Lewis and William C. Cole. So there you go. There's the response from Parker Lewis and William Cole. Uh, you know, is it too late to, to write an open letter to the senator after the bill has been drafted, redrafted, and, and redrafted again, and finally sent to the committee? And then that committee has all this chance, you know, they, they spend all their time reading it and rereading it. I guess they're reading it. I mean, I don't know at this point. I would imagine state houses are a little bit better about, you know, reading legislation before doing shit with it. But is it too late? Should this letter have come while this thing was sitting in committee? And should this letter have been addressed to all the members of the committee? I think it should have. However, there's only so much that people like Parker Lewis and Will Cole can actually do. It's not like that's all they do is sit around and write letters to senators. But it's just, I think that this is going to end up being an object lesson of we got to be a lot more vigilant of what's going on in our, in our state houses. Maybe, maybe we should stop giving a shit about what the federal government is doing and focus solely on the states. Now, Many of you out there are going to say, oh, well, it's all government and it all sucks. Oh, hell, I agree. It's not, it's not like I think you're wrong, but it is what it is. I mean, the facts of the ground cannot be ignored. And the facts on the ground in this case is that, like it or not, we do not live in an anarchy. Hell, we're not even close to being libertarian. We live in a bicameral system that is dominated by Democrats and Republicans and lobby groups. That's the facts. And you're not going to just wave a magic wand and poof and it all goes away. If you can, then why haven't you done it already? See, that's the point. So we have to work within the means of which we are given. Well, the means in which we are given, and that's a terrible way to, to put it. The means in which uh, are, well, with the facts on the ground. And the fact on the ground is that nobody in the federal government is listening to anybody. They're barely listening to themselves. But <clears throat> I actually had a phone conversation with my district representative at the Texas State uh, at the Texas State Capitol. He was like, I I can't re- the the pro- it was something to do with a genetic company that I opened up a long long time ago. We did synthetic gene synthesis and uh, a lot of uh, uh, genetic sequencing. And there was some kind of, there were basically, uh, 
the issue was is that colleges and universities were able to offer the same services to the private sector, yet they were they didn't have to charge tax. So I was like, well, hey, this is kind of not right. And I called the the rep, rep's office and they're like, well, he's out of session. Here's his home number. They gave me his home phone number. I called him up. His wife answers and said, I go, well, I'm looking for a rep. You know, I can't remember his name now because it's been years. And she goes, oh, hold on. He's watching football. I'll go get him. And she, I hear the phone be put down on the counter. And this man picks up and says, how may I help you? And we ended up talking about what my problem was and then another great many things for an hour. If you want to talk to somebody, that, if you want to actually be able to talk to somebody that has something to do with voting on stuff that may affect you in your state, stop messing with the federal government. Sure, if you want to call Senator whatever up at the federal government and, and bitch he or she out and tell it be and you're never going to talk to them you're going to be talking to like some lackey and that's fine i guess but it's not it's not going to get anything done we're way past that point we've been past that point since the 60s all right probably the 50s all right you're not going to be talking to whoever you think you're going to be talking to it's never going to happen not unless you got a million dollars and want to sit down and have dinner with them all right so hit your state legislative Call them up. You know, if you're a Texan and you're listening to this, I can't call them because I don't live in the state of Texas any longer. I'm a Texan at heart. I always will be. And I will always talk about news from Texas, but I have no standing in Texas right now because I do not pay property taxes anywhere in the state. I don't have a driver. I mean, I have a driver's license, but I don't pay bills. I don't rent a house. I don't own a house. I mean, I'm, I'm, they're not going to listen to me. But if you're a Texan, They'll listen to you. So instead of the federal government, why don't you try the state? See if you can actually get somebody on the line. Okay. Just, I'm just saying. Now, let's move on. Martin Young, Cointelegraph, FTX's bankruptcy lawyers and advisor pocket $32.5 million in the month of February. $32.5 million in a month. A short month. The shortest month for the lawyers of the bankruptcy for FTX. Surprising? Not really. We all knew this was going to happen. February's round of legal expenses for bankrupt crypto exchange FTX has been published and it remains a scary figure for the debtors. A series of court filings from April 4th to April 10th detailed the monthly fee statements for February of the law firms involved with FTX's bankruptcy proceedings, which come to a combined total of around $32.5 million. The figure didn't include the recompense for restructuring chief CEO John J. Ray III, who pocketed $305,000 in February, according to a March court filing. Ray's remuneration for March came in at a similar, similar figure, with an April 10th filing showing his total fees and expenses were $329,000. The FTX chief billed out at $1,300 per hour and reported working 255.9 hours for the period of March to March 31st. This makes his fees a whopping uh, $327,470 with the remaining $1,703 for airfares, lodging, transport, meals, and other expenses. The law firm Quinn Emanuel Urquhart 
and Sullivan sought a total of over $2.7 million in reimbursements for February. Partners at the firm billed between $1,246 to $1,917 per hour, and associates billed between $747 and $1,183 per hour. The total number of bill of hours billed by the firm was nearly 2,610. April 4th filings for the law firm Alvarez and Marcel and forensic investigation consultant Alex Partners detailed their February fee statements, and it totaled over $11.9 million and around $3.6 million, respectively. The largest amount sought was from law firm Sullivan and Cromwell which billed a total of $13.4 million for work carried out on the F- for FTX in February by their burgeoning team of lawyers and associates. Uh, meanwhile, on the lower end of the scale, investment banking firm Perella Weinberg Partners billed $77,000, while bankruptcy co-counsel Landis Rath and Cobb invoiced $582,000 for February. Advisors and lawyers for the bankrupt exchange billed a similar amount in January with FTX shelling out $34.18 million for their combined services in January, according to earlier court documents. The fees, reimbursements, and expenses that FTX has forked out to its phalanx, uh, phalanx, I think is how you pronounce it, of lawyers, associates, paralegals, accountants, investigators, directors, and executives remain tough to swallow for customers still waiting for recompense. Yeah, you're not getting that money. The bankruptcy is far from over, and it's reported that Sullivan and Cromwell alone will reap hundreds of millions of dollars before the firm's bankruptcy investigation wraps up. So that's the end of the article. But this uh, statement of fees uh, for, who was it? Sullivan and Cromwell. Um, they build twelve thousand. They build for twelve thousand one hundred and twenty-seven hours of work between all these different things, and it's like asset analysis, asset disposition. Uh, they have like a tax team, evaluation team, discovery hearings, first and second day motions. By itself, they build seven hours and got seven thousand eight hundred and eighty-one dollars. Do you not see how this works? There's, there's, this is a feeding trough. FTX has turned into a feeding trough for lawyers. I mean, not that lawyers shouldn't be, you know, compensated for their, for their time, but holy moly, I think this is a little bit expansionary. That's a word, expansionary? Yeah, expansionary. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. This just, this is just, it's all bullshit is what it is. Clean spark. Clean Spark to nearly double Bitcoin mining capacity with a $144.9 million ant miner purchase Bitcoin magazine BTC Casey. Clean Spark, a public Bitcoin mining company, has announced its purchase of 45,000 brand new units of the ant miner S19 XP Bitcoin mining machines at a cost of $144.9 million. The company expects all units to be delivered by the manufacturer by the end of September with a 95% increase in compute power once deployed, according to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. CleanSpark 
has approximately 15.9 exahashes worth of machines on hand or under contract for delivery this year, edging closer to its end year or year end guidance for 16 exahashes per second. The company will deploy all of the acquired units at its Bitcoin mining facility in Sandersville, Georgia, which is currently undergoing a planned 150 megawatt expansion. The machines will be deployed in multiple batches as they arrive on site and new rack space becomes available with all machines expected to be fully operational before the end of the year. Zach Brafford, CEO of CleanSpark, stated, As Bitcoin halvings draw closer, our focus on operational efficiency, our technical expertise, and our treasury management strategy will all play a crucial role in solidifying CleanSpark's position among the top Bitcoin mining companies in America. Securing XPs at these prices means we have one less variable in our capital expenditure equation and puts us well on the way to achieving our year-end guidance of 16 exahashes per second. Gary Vecciarelli, CleanSpark's CFO, added. According to the press release, CleanSpark predominantly mines Bitcoin with low-carbon energy sources, which account for over 90% of its energy mix, and the company follows what it describes as a balanced capital management strategy by selling some of its mined Bitcoin to reinvest in growth. This most recent miner purchase is in addition to a 20,000 machine purchase announced in February with those machines fully paid for and in the process of being delivered to the company's Washington State facility. They are expected to be energized later this quarter, according to the press release, adding an additional 2.44 exahashes of machines to CleanSpark's operational hash rate. So there you go, mining continues, it just won't die. Speaking of mining, Bitcoin mining firm Bitmain reportedly fined for tax violations in China, Cointelegraph, Helen Parts. Beijing-based cryptocurrency mining firm Bitmain has reportedly violated tax regulations in China with local authorities imposing major fines. Bitmain technology has been slapped with a tax penalty from the Beijing Municipal Office of the State Administration of Taxation, the local news agency Sina Finance reported on April the 11th. The authority fined Bitmain about two, uh, wow, 25 million Chinese won or $3.7 million U.S. Eh, this probably just sounds like a slap on the wrist to me. But yeah, I mean, I'm not going to read the rest of it because we're uh, getting low on time. Um that's all you really need to know. So even in China, I mean, it's like, I thought mining was banned. Of course, they're just producing mining machines, right? But let's be honest. If China really wanted, if China was really serious about that whole mining ban, I mean, yes, they were serious about it, but I guarantee you they relax. They're already relaxing. Like there's still a sizable amount of hash rate in China right now. Oh, but what about the mining ban? China banned Bitcoin. Bitcoin bad. Yeah, well then why is China still mining a sizable amount of hash rate of Bitcoin? Because this it was just, it was all bullshit. Like everything else is bullshit. Uh let's see. Yeah, we don't need to do that. Hey, let's go ahead and run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. West Texas Intermediate is up 1.87% to $81.24 a barrel. Brent North Sea up one and a third 
to $85.29 a barrel. Natural gas is up as well. This is the first time I've seen it in a while where everything's in the green on energy. 0.64% uh, to the upside, $2.18 per thousand on that one. Gasoline, 1.63%. 1 that just flipped down 1.55% to the upside to $2.85 a gallon. Shiny metal rocks all doing well. Gold up 0.8% to $2,020.70. bucks 70 uh, silver is up 1.36 to 25.25. Platinum is up as well, two thirds of a point. Copper is up almost a full point, and palladium rocketing 3.12% to the upside. Ag is mixed, fully mixed, and the biggest winner today is sugar. Two point no, I was wrong. It's coffee. 3.87% to the upside, followed by sugar, 2.89% to the upside. Biggest loser today, not by, you know, it's not losing by much though. Uh, cotton is off by half a point. Live cattle is down 0.11%. Lean hogs down a half a point. Feeder cattle up 0.35%. Dow is up a half a percent. S&P is up, oh, a fifth of a point. NASDAQ is actually down a full half. And S&P mini is up by 1.05%. Real money, dude, $30,227.48. Yeah, we got some kind of bump. And I'm not exactly sure what happened there, but I fully expect the U.S. Marshal Service to, send, uh, to sell uh, a 10,000 10, Bitcoin tranche uh, very quickly so that they can suppress the price. Because, you know... That's the only thing that they have left in their quiver of arrows there. Uh, this is all after three, oh, a mere 336,000 Bitcoin have been sent in the last 24 hours. Average transaction value is 0.98 Bitcoin. Median transaction value is 0.011 BTC or 324 bucks. So coming back up, block times are still high. 10 minutes and 31 seconds. We have 0.2 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 27.4 taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours with an 8.38% drop in hash rate. We're still at 314.5 exahashes per second. You know, it seems odd that a whole bunch of people turned on their miners right at difficulty change. And then it seems like a whole miner, a whole lot of miners have been turned off. You know, I really, if you guys have a really good piece about Bitcoin mining and difficulty and these turning lots of machines on and turning lots of machine off cycles, please give me that. I mean, yes, your opinion itself is, is important, but there's nothing like reading like somebody who's, you know, collected a whole bunch of information and kind of compiled it together into an, into an article. If you have an article on that, that you think that I should read, uh, to kind of help me get more comfortable with this cycling of difficulty adjustments and turning machines on and off. I really appreciate it. And you can do that, of course, via a boostagram. A boostagram. Not going to read them just yet. Dogecoin sitting at 8.5 United States pennies, which is exactly where it was yesterday. So no movement on the shitcoin front. $584.1 billion is the market cap of Bitcoin. And we now have 4.34% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 15 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19 million. 
343,155 of and 5,424.6 of those are in the Lightning Network, now valued at $163.8 million. Uh, There are 74,336 payment channels that we know about, and 67.2% of all those are being run over Tor. There is an estimated difficulty change of 1.4% to the downside on April the 20th. Mempool kind of clearing, kind of, a little bit. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, It looks like we've got like 104 blocks uh, backed up, uh, and they're holding uh, 34,516 unconfirmed transactions. Mempools that are not... Uh, well, net mempools, default mempool sizes of 300 megabytes are purging 2.09 Satoshi per V-byte transactions at this time. Low priority fees are 22 Satoshis per V-byte. 26 Satoshi per V-byte gets you into the next block, but it's going to cost you a, a buck 10 to be able to do that with a standard SegWit transaction that's not all that big. Just your regular old transaction, and that's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. And I've got boostograms from show 701. I got Dale Jr. with 20,700 sats saying, get getting caught back up with my support. Congrats on the milestone. And here's to 700 more units of analysis V4V style. Bubba with 10,000 Satoshi says, competition is great. Without it, we would probably have never had Bitcoin. Fight me. Not going to fight you, Bubba. I love you too much. Ptar with the Striper Boost says, you're doing a lot of things right. Hyper-Bitcoinization will take from 30 to 100 years from now to happen. In reality, we're doing all of this for our children. I agree. I agree. JC Denton with Elite Boost, that's 1,337 Satoshis with the Shaka emoji. We've got Wartime Psycho with 777 sats with heart emoji. We've got Nick underscore dose with 369 Satoshi says cheers and Blizza with 175 sats says five cent contribution. And it's important. It really is. Five cents doesn't seem like much, does it? Yeah. Multiply that by 10,000 people, which I don't have. <laughs> That's why I continually ask you guys, you know, help me spread the show. That I think that's actually the most important thing is if you can help me market the show, then that time that you spend ends up taking the pressure off of you to give me Satoshis. See how that works? If there's more people, like it's it's a model called, I think it's like a thousand true fans. And the theory is, is that with 1,000 people donating like a you know, like let's say, let's say five bucks a month throughout the entirety of the month. That's five grand. You know what that is? That's a house pl- payment plus gas for the month. I mean, fuel for the car plus all groceries. You have any idea what that does to a family? <laughs> when, when the, when the dad doesn't actually have to go to a Fiat mine and is able to, you know, get help, get the kids ready, make their lunch, take them to school, be there to pick them up from school. 
You know, my, you know how many times my own father picked me up from school? I can remember one time because my mom was that sick. Most of the time, even if she was sick, you know, dad was at work because dad was doing what he, because all of us have bought into whatever it is that we bought into, whatever, whatever we were told that we had to do, what we had to sacrifice, all of that shit, we've all bought into it. Even if you don't buy into it now, it's because your, your horizons have changed, most likely because of Bitcoin. Your time horizons have changed definitely because of Bitcoin. But your parents and your grandparents, I'm sorry, guys, most of them bought into it. If yours didn't, then you're lucky. But mine did. Mine fully bought into the, the basket full of lies that we've been told. So <clears throat> as I move forward with my life, I realize what it is that I missed with my dad. Because he was always, he was always at work. He was always out in the field. He was always on some oil rig somewhere. You know, he, he just wasn't there. He, he just wasn't. And he missed out and I missed out and my sister missed out and my mom missed out. Everybody missed out. So the goal here is a thousand true fans. And the only way that I can get a thousand true fans is by leveraging the fans that I do have. You guys, if you're listening to me, you're probably a fan. And I appreciate that. And I don't want to have to leverage on you guys to keep me in the top five or the top 10. I don't want to have to leverage you guys to, you know, spend all your Satoshis. I'd like that to be spread around the horn. But be that as it may, we've got other fish to fry. MicroStrategy Bitcoin bet turns green as BTC price climbs to a 10-month high. Prashant Jha tells us more about this $30,000 thing from Cointelegraph. Business intelligence and Fortune 500 company MicroStrategy's Bitcoin investment has turned green again as BTC broke past the critical resistance of around 29,000 to record a new 10-month high of $30,000 or $30,163 US. MicroStrategy started investing in Bitcoin in the second quarter of 2020 when the BTC price was trading around $10,000 and since then the business intelligence firm has made a series of BTC purchases over the past two years. The firm has accumulated a total of 140,000 BTC acquired for nearly $4.17 billion U.S. at an average price of $29,803 per BTC. And then they've got this nifty graph that shows the MicroStrategy Bitcoin treasury as it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. So there you go. MicroStrategy co-founder Michael Saylor introduced the Bitcoin strategy as a treasury hedging asset over the United States dollar. Apart from holding BTC personally and on the company's balance sheet, Saylor also convinced several public companies to accumulate BTC on their own balance sheets, including the likes of Tesla, SpaceX, and a dozen others. The Bitcoin bet made by the Fortune 500 company looked lucrative throughout the bull market in 2021, but the prolonged crypto winter of 2022, fueled by multiple contagions, 
brought about by the collapse of leading crypto unicorns, crashed BTC price by over 70%. The same Bitcoin bet that looked lucrative in 2021 attracted a lot of flack from crypto critics as MicroStrategy's Bitcoin investment was at a 50% loss at the peak bear market in 2022. However, Saylor always maintained that they had full confidence in Bitcoin's underlying fundamentals and they would continue to invest in the top cryptocurrency. In an interview with Cointelegraph, Saylor said that a Bitcoin investment should be judged from a four-year price cycle rather than based on one bear or bull market. After a disastrous 2022, BTC price has shown strength throughout 2023 with the price seeing over a 55% increase in the first quarter of this year. Bitcoin price has closed above the previous month's high three months in a row a sign considered to be a bullish market indicator and an indication of another bull run on the horizon. Bitcoin has outperformed most traditional stocks and bonds, blah, blah, blah. Okay, be careful with that, with these technical analysis things. I highly recommend that you don't listen to them. You just, just DCA, just daily cost average. Pick a day of the week and buy whatever amount you can afford to buy on that day and don't worry about price. Don't. I mean, if you want to, if you're just attracted to technical analysis and bull signals and bear signals and traps and hatches and I don't know, falling stars and whatever other TA bullshit that's out there, well then by all means go right ahead. But if you have any reservations whatsoever that you may not be good at this and, 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 and you think you need to figure out where to sell the top and buy the bottom, don't. It's not worth your time. Go play with your kids, okay? Just buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, do it every week or do it every day, or if you want, do it every month, but just do it with a cadence. Have a cadence. My cadence is every Friday. Every Friday I buy buy Bitcoin and I don't even have to push the trigger. I, I just, you know, right now I'm just using cash app, which is KYC. I get that. I understand it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. But guess what? All your boostergrams and all of the sats that you stream me, uh, all of the zaps that I get on Noster, all of that eventually ends up in my lightning node. It's all KYC free. Ladies and gentlemen, every single sat that I get from that side of what it is that I do doesn't have my identity anywhere close to it. So that's one of the reasons why I love your boostograms and and (laughs) streaming Satoshis and Zap so much is because it's all KYC free. (laughs) Just saying. Now, speaking of, SEC is adding attorneys to its crypto enforcement unit. Oh, joy. Coindesk, uh, Sandali Hundagama is writing this one. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission is hiring general attorneys for its crypto enforcement division in New York, Washington, D.C., as well as San Francisco, according to a job posting. The call for attorneys to join the regulator's crypto asset and and cyber unit, or CACU, comes after the agency said in March that it was planning to add additional staff to the unit, which was initially meant to be a 20-person operation but has now doubled in size to 40. Under Chairman Ginsler, the SEC has been cracking down on the crypto industry with renewed vigor, of course. The attorneys joining the CACU are expected to conduct investigations involving crypto asset securities and develop litigation plans 
draft legal documents, including subpoenas, and conduct depositions, or depositions, however you want to pronounce it. The CACU exercises the full range of the division's investigative and law enforcement powers and focuses on violations of the federal securities law, the job posting said. Compensation for the positions range between $140,000 to $260,000 a year, depending on the location. So I'm guessing... Uh, let's see where, where the cities, New York is probably going to be, oh God, all of these, you know, these three sites are, are highly expensive to live in. I'm guessing San Francisco guys are going to get a quarter, like a quarter of a million dollars a year, because that's apparently what it takes to be middle-class in San Francisco. But moreover, what's going on here is that Gensler is ramping up to take down the rest of the shit coins. That's what's going on here. Will Bitcoin be affected? Of course, Bitcoin's going to be affected because the way to get to the shit coins is to really go after exchanges and to get the exchanges to self-regulate themselves and stop shit coining. Except the problem with that is that's how the, 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 that's how the casinos make their money. They've got to have rubes, whether you're Kraken, Coinbase, uh, Binance, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter if the, if you like Jesse Powell, the guy behind Kraken, who's uh, now stepped down as CEO, he was a great Bitcoiner. And he probably still is. And he started an exchange. And then he needed more money. So they started introducing shitcoins. And it turns into a casino. It doesn't matter. It just seems to go this way. And Gary Gensler is assembling a team of very well-paid lawyers to take all this shit down. And he's probably going to do it which is one of the reasons, again, why I like, I want to get the thousand true fans and have this mostly done over Bitcoin, the Lightning Network, Zaps, Boostagrams, and streaming Satoshis because it's all KYC free and you can't stop that side of it. Plus, I don't use exchanges anyway, but I do use a Cash App and I do use Strike. Will they be affected? That's a question that I cannot answer. We'll have to wait and see. Every crypto project must reckon with the SEC's Howey test. Yeah, I talk about the Howey test a lot. And I hope that this article, once and for all, spells out exactly what the Howey test is, how it came to be, and why. But we'll find out. Daniel Roberts is writing it for Decrypt. Nearly five years ago, SEC official Bill Heeman stood on the stage at a Yahoo Finance Crypto Summit in San Francisco and delivered a prepared speech that concluded that Ethereum is not a security. A footnote on the SEC's website clarified that the speech expresses the author's views and does not necessarily reflect those of the commission, but it was nonetheless taken exactly that way. Hinman's speech came just one week after the then-SEC chair, Jay Clayton, said that the SEC does not view Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies as securities as opposed to tokens, Clayton said. Quote, where I give you my money and you go off and make a venture and in return for giving you my money, I say you can get a return. That is a security. But Gary Gensler, the current SEC chair and the scourge of crypto builders, has made clear that he does not share Hinman's views. He views everything other than Bitcoin as a security. 
Last fall, just one day after shitcoin number one completed its merge to become a proof of idiocy network, Gensler said that the native tokens of networks that use staking also look like securities since, quote, the investing public is anticipating profits based on the efforts of others, end quote. And Gensler is using his North Star, the same test that Hinman and Clayton used, a 77-year-old lawsuit involving a Florida citrus grove. The Howey test has become an infamous boogeyman for everyone in crypto. And while the industry would like it to go away, it's clear that that's not going to happen. Hinman and Clayton are both long gone from the SEC and have moved on to advise crypto firms, naturally. But Howey remains, and Gensler has cited it to make the case that all of crypto falls under SEC jurisdiction, even though just last month, his counterpart at the CFTC said that Shitcoin One is a commodity. Yeah, well, the SEC is going to pretty much trump the CFTC. I, that's my opinion. I don't know that for sure, but yeah, I don't think the CFTC has as many teeth as Gary Gensler does. So there, there's that. Ironically, Hinman's speech in June of 2018 was called "When Gary Met Howie," but he was referencing a 1985 case involving Gary plastic packaging that showed a non-security can become a security depending on how it's marketed. Hinman couldn't know that in a few years, a different Gary would wield Howie as a hammer against an entire trillion dollar industry. The thrust of Howie is that an asset becomes an investment contract when it is marketed or sold with the expectation of profit thanks to the work of the seller or a third party. The Citrus Grove in the Howey test itself was not a security, but shares in the Citrus Grove were. Hinman argues that putting aside the initial Shitcoin One fundraise in 2014 that brought in $18 million, the network has since become sufficiently decentralized to rule out current sales of Shitcoin One as securities offerings. And of course, they're talking about ETH. It's just hard for me to say the word anymore. Gensler does not appear to agree, but more importantly, and more damaging for most new crypto projects, is that all other token sales built on Ethereum do look pretty clearly like securities under the Howey definition. Speculators buy them in the hopes that the token will go up based on the perceived success of the project. It's clear, this is me speaking, it's clear that this author is uh, an ETH head, so just bear with me. But wait, <clears throat> what if the token is genuinely used in the project's ecosystem and has real utility beyond price speculation? Doesn't matter. As Hinman said in 2018, way before Gensler showed up, quote, simply labeling a digital asset as a utility token does not turn the asset into something that is not a security. In other words, call your token whatever you want. The SEC still thinks it's a security. People in crypto like to say that the SEC is not given clear guidelines for projects, but the truth is that it has. It's guiding light is the Howey test. The industry just doesn't like it. Gensler said in front of Congress just last week, no new rules are coming because the regulations actually already exist. Another problem people raise with Howey is that it's too damn old to be applied fairly anymore, but even Coinbase Chief Legal Officer Paul Gruel, a former California magistrate, magistrate judge, said recently on our Good Morning podcast, 
that the issue with Howie is not its age. Quote, I love legal precedents, even if they are decades old, so I have no problem with Howie or any other precedent simply because of its age. The problem with Howie is how it's being applied to new technology. Quote, when it comes to the operation of a blockchain-based technology that underlies most digital asset, there is often, I think, a confusion about the role of the promoter, a confusion about what is driving any returns that might accrue to the holder of tokens, and a confusion about fundamentally how these assets work and what real utility they bring to the network's gruel set. When it comes to networks that are based on proof-of-stake consensus mechanisms, there's a very important role that these tokens play, which is to make sure that the networks are secure, that the transactions that are confirmed on the network are accurate, end quote. So, is it always fair to chalk up a token's gain solely to the efforts of the project behind it? What about when the token holders are real participants in the project's success? That is the distinction many new projects are hoping excludes their token from the SEC's clutches, but for now, Gensler has not indicated that it makes any difference to him, and it won't. It won't because that's a third party, whatever. I, I don't see how, I don't see why the Howey test is so hard to understand. Oh, I know why, because these guys clearly are securities and they're fighting and they're like drowning men and they are standing on each other and logic to be able to get out of the water. No, they're all screwed. I'm sorry. If you're holding a shit coin, you need to punch out of it because SEC is coming and none of this escapes the Howie test except for Bitcoin because there's no third party behind it. There's nothing, you can't knock on somebody's door and say, do you work for Bit at the Bitcoin Corporation? Because there's nobody there. There's no there there. Whatever. <clears throat> it it doesn't matter. The rest of this is is just basically a bunch of pearl clutching bullshit. None of these people and none of those projects are safe from Gary Gensler. Until such time, here it comes. Until such time that the United States dollar loses full world reserve currency status, in which case the SEC won't have that many teeth left. And then countries will be able to do whatever the hell they want, right? So will shit coins go away forever? No. Will they be drowned to death, or at least the majority of them, right over the next few years? Yes, they will. Gary's coming after everybody while Gary still has teeth in his head. And while Gary still has teeth in his head, he's going to be a vicious hyena and he will destroy everything that is set before him. If it even smells like it passes the Howie test, it's toast. And then there will be, after, after the dollar loses its reserve currency status, which it will, I don't know exactly when, but it's probably a hell of a lot faster than we all think, then shit coins will come back up again. And then they won't have to really worry about Gary Gensler because nobody's really going to listen to anybody whose currency is not world reserve status. As that's, you can cry about that all you want, but that's just the facts on the ground. Uh, what do we got here? I got a couple more left. Let's do the Robert Kennedy one. 
Robert F. Kennedy Jr. joins Ron DeSantis in railing against CBDCs. Andre Bogansky has it for Decrypt.co. As potential candidates fine-tune their platforms in anticipation of 2024 presidential campaigns, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. jumped on board the CBDC hate train last week to join Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Kennedy, who's filed papers to run as a Democrat in the upcoming presidential election, rang warning bells on Twitter, appearing to lump the launch of FedNow with that of a central bank digital currency, also known as the CBDC, which he said would grease the slippery slope uh, to financial slavery and political tyranny. His comments paralleled those of several Republican lawmakers that have skewered CBDCs as an affront to financial privacy rights or potentially prone to restricting everyday purchases, bringing a bipartisan tinge to an issue that's been largely publicized by conservative voices. Quote, a CBDC tied to a digital ID and social credit score will allow the government to freeze your assets or limit your spending or shut it off entirely, in my opinion. Uh, Kennedy, who last year publicly apologized for comments made about Anne Frank within the context of an anti-vaccine mandate speech, wrote on Twitter, why did they put that in there? How does that even remotely have anything to do? Is it because that this author may just really want CBDCs? I mean, if you don't want CBDCs, then when you're writing stuff, then, you know, the opponents of your enemy shouldn't be lambasted. Is, I mean, is that what, you know what? Screw it. I'm, I'm not going to get into it. Um, quote, while cash transactions are anonymous, uh, a CBDC will allow the government to surveil all of our private financial, uh, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Private financial affairs, end quote. The Federal Reserve issued clarity on its upcoming launch of FedNow days later, setting the record straight in an updated section on its Frequently Asked Questions page. The Fed claimed, this is important, the Fed claimed it is not launching a CBDC when its FedNow payments services is expected to come online in July. It said that the system for instant settlement between financial institutions isn't a replacement for cash either. Quote, FedNow is a payment service that the Federal Reserve is making available for banks and credit unions to transfer funds. The FedNow service is neither a form of currency nor a step toward eliminating any form of payment, including cash, the post states. Uh, and then they describe a central bank's uh, digital currency. The Fed has repeatedly said that the United States Central Bank will not release a retail CBDC without written approval from Congress. And the Fed reprised that message in its blog post on Friday, adding the executive branch would also have to be on board. Though the Federal Reserve Bank in San, of San Francisco posted job openings seeking CBDC designers and developers in February, the Fed also reaffirmed it has made no decision whatsoever on issuing a CBDC. Kennedy's concerns align with those of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who railed against the notion of a CBDC in the Sunshine State last month. And by the way, this is where we get the Howie test from. When they were talking about the Citrus Grove, Howie lived in Florida, just saying. He speculated that the technology could be used to curtail firearm purchases or limit gasoline sales as he introduced a ban on CBDCs from any country to the state's legislature. The technology has been condemned as antithetical to crypto's founding principles uh, by comparatively liberal, liberal voices as well, such as NSA consultant turned whistleblower 
Edward Snowden, who dubbed CBDCs as a crypto-fascist currency back in 2021. Other Republican lawmakers raised notable concerns about CBDCs prior to DeSantis, including Republican House Majority Whip Tom Emmer and South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, who took issue with amendments to the state's Uniform Commercial Code, or UCC. The UCC is a set of state-level business laws that provide default rules for structuring certain transactions, such as the sale of goods or lending arrangements. Noam claimed an amendment would exclude cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin from being defined as money, while granting CBDCs the same asset or same status as the greenback. Along similar lines, Kennedy's Twitter post claimed that FedNow was the first step to banning and seizing Bitcoin while DeSantis's anti-CBDC legislation prohibited the technology from being considered money with Florida's Uniform Commercial Code. But, as a set of laws that govern commercial transactions that may happen across state lines, changes to the UCC don't have a clear... Uh, ooh, don't have as clear of a tie in CBDCs as politicians may appear to think. Carla Reyes, an assistant professor at the Southern Methodist University Dedman School of Law, told Decrypt, quote, in my view, a lot of connections between CBDCs and the UCC and the political disclosure is mistaken or reflects a misunderstanding of the role of the UCC as private law. All the claims about the change of the definition bans Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, that's not a thing. Reyes said that the UCC does not have the ability to ban anything as private law and that the amendments are there to make a distinction between cryptocurrencies and sovereign-backed money without making a value judgment of one over the other. Quote, it is not the role of the UCC to pick winners or losers in technology or in mediums of exchange. It just provides rules so that people who enter into voluntary transactions using whatever they want know what rules to expect to apply to their transactions. Touching on DeSantis's proposed legislation banning CBDCs from Florida's UCC wouldn't actually prevent people from using the technology, but rather make CBDCs subject to common law rules, which courts in Florida have applied to digital currencies in the past already, Reyes said, quote, I'm not really sure what the goal of including a ban in the UCC would be because it would not do what they think it does, she said. As far as I understand, what they're trying to do, which is make it so no one could use it, that's not what would happen. Sure, you'd be able to use it, but you wouldn't be forced to use it, is my opinion. And that's a whole other story. We got to go. That's going to be the end of the morning roundup. Time for a joke, and his dad says jokes. What did the left butt cheek say to the right butt cheek? If we stick together, we can put a stop to all this shit. <laughs> yes, I guess we're all going to be butt cheeks to each other. That's just gross, but it is what it is, and we do have to stick together uh, because this, you know, shit's coming down the line. Yes, we can all be happy that Bitcoin finally broke out above 29000 and is actually above $30,000 as we speak. But that's just, that's just no way to, you know, we're at $30,133 according to uh, the ticker on stacker.news. Um, yeah, that's great. I, I get it. But again, the Marshall Service, the United States Marshall Service has 40,000 Bitcoin 
ready to release on the open market at any given time. And they're going to do it. And they're going to do it at times when we're all happy because it's part of being able to suck the positive energy out of everybody across the world all at once because they're psychic vampires. They don't want anybody to be happy. I don't know why. I have no idea how we've come to a situation where across the planet, all governments want to see their citizenry moaning and bitching and sad and unable to make things happen in their own lives, which would then make the countries that they reside in even better. How we've got here, I don't really know, but we are here. We live amongst a field filled with zombie psychic vampires that will do anything and everything at their disposal to make you sad, to make you not happy, to make you think you're inadequate, to make you think that you're dumb, to make you think that you couldn't possibly come up with an idea of your own that would make things better and certainly not allow you to think that there was a way to actually affect that. That's why they're there. How they got there, I don't really care. Why they do what they do, I also don't give a shit. Facts on the ground state the following. If we don't stick together, then we don't have a hope in hell of breaking through that wall of zombie psychic vampires that seek to drain you of all positive energy in your life. Don't let them do it, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon.